You may find this hard to believe, but 60 songs that explain the 90s, America's favorite poorly named music podcast is back with 30 more songs than 120 songs total. I am your host, Rob Harvilla, here to bring you more shrewd musical analysis, poignant nostalgic reveries, crude personal anecdotes, and rad special guests all with even less restraint than usual. Join us once more on 60 Saws that Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. Hey, hey, my Eagle enthusiast. This is Fairway Rollin' presented by FanDuel. Elevated events, majors, and more are coming up, and FanDuel is here to help you line up a win during the PGA Tour season. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official betting operator of the PGA Tour. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Quick disclaimer, you must be 21 years old and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at Ugg.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast, unlike any other. Oh, yes, my friends, we have done it. This is Fairway Rollin', a golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House, my birdie buddies, my par-saving pals, my eagle enthusiasts. This is a day in professional golf. Unlike any other, we are going to do our very best to give you our immediate reaction and go through all of the questions that we have that must be answered. I am joined, as always, by my incomparable accomplice, our PGA Tour boots on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, who's been working tirelessly to get us information. And the golf gods are good, my birdie buddies. Just by happenstance, we had. This gentleman lined up to join us today, Smiley Kaufman from the Golf Channel, from NBC Sports, from Sirius XM. He's got his own podcast, The Smiley Show. He is on to help us break this down, a unique perspective as a guy who both played on tour and in the media now. My birdie buddies, this is a good one. Buckle up. 
The first tee is wide open. It's going to be a two ball for a little bit, and then it's a three ball almost all the way home. Let's put some pegs in the ground and get this thing going. Nate Dog, it's the biggest news in the history of modern golf, which I think makes it the biggest news in the history of this golf podcast. Other than uh, what? The news that your brother um, had a knife dropped into his foot by his child and had to withdraw from a golf tournament. That news was pretty momentous. (laughs) It's a big day, House. It's a big day. It's a great day to have a golf podcast. It's a great day to be in the golf content business, Nate Dog. I want to begin by asking you some of the business questions because we will get certainly to the implications for the players, the players' reaction, the manner in which um, this news has been delivered. There are many, many, many uh, tentacles to this beast, but let's start with kind of the, the, the business question. And I don't want to presume your answer, um, but it, this this felt inevitable to me. That's that's the way I'll I'll begin it. What is your sense from kind of a business perspective? I am surprised that it happened so quickly. I am, and clearly, uh, this was a very small room house. There are a lot of people who just found it out about this this morning, who had known about. PGA Tour schedule changes, who'd known about players that were potentially going to live. I mean, this was an all-secret conversation that um, that materialized now, they're saying, over the course of two months. Right. But from a... Uh, I mean, look, this is... Was it inevitable? Probably. And the reason that it was inevitable is that for months we have been on this podcast saying, this sucks. It sucks. It's not as good for the end consumer. And when you looked at the live ratings and you looked at the product, that sucked too. And when you looked at a PGA Tour event that didn't have the two of the last three major winners in it, that kind of sucked, even though there were, at least it felt like better players. And the animosity between guys for the players themselves. The idea that Sergio wouldn't be able to play on a Ryder Cup, that sucked. So there was just a lot of this that sucked and that was about more personal interest and personal gain than the fan base at the end of the day. And the reason from a business perspective that we talked about this sucking was the the golf audience ain't big enough for two tours. It's just not. That's what we learned. It's not big enough for two different tours. And I'm not sure that there was a bunch of business and eyeballs being taken away from the PGA Tour, but there was money. There were sponsor relationships that had to get restructured. There were players that were going in the other direction. There were a lot of lawyers who were on the payroll that presumably were draining the accounts of, despite what we heard from Phil in the process, an organization that wasn't necessarily rife with cash. Indeed. So let's begin with the timing proposition. One of the theories that's being advanced out there is that the um, the, the, the the two principals were somewhat rushed into making this announcement because sure feels like that. 
Yeah, there was there was the possibility of of a leak emanating. Now, I guess you would say kudos to these principals for making it all the way up to this point. If indeed it's been two months that they've been talking and not having, you know, news of a potential combination coming out before this point. Um, but certainly from the press release and the, the communication uh, to the players, it, it it does feel like, you know, there was a decision made short of a full onboarding, short of a full ramp up uh, to, to just get the news out and then let the consequences in terms of communicating to all your constituencies and your stakeholders. Because not, not only the players, there's also... Um, you know, ma- major sponsors and so forth that are uh, saying we, you know, obviously we we knew nothing of any of this, and there's some indication the TV partners um, had no idea this was coming. Um, and so this they 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 got the handshake done, and boom, here here we are, and they are uh in the, in the interview on CNBC, Jay Monahan and Yasser both said that they expect the you know, the sort of outline to become a fully actionable executed deal in a, in a matter of weeks. There is some diligence yet that they claim they want to do some valuation exercise. And that's, you know, fine. Uh, I can't imagine that that's much more than window dressing for the purposes of a fully conceived deal. Right. Uh, you know, so you can say we did diligence, but at the end of the day, the, um, the, 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 the combination in 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 the sense that um, it it does give a little more time, perhaps, for them to sort out the thorny issues and have all those thorny issues um, a- addressed in in the firehose manner in which they're going to occur here. It, it, is it is it better that they kind of announce it this way in this in this sh- short order fashion? Yeah, what has to come to lighthouse is what the pressure was on the PGA Tour to do this now. Because other it, than the leak, yeah, yeah. Well, but so what if it leaks? Like, if it leaks, you get to test the waters on what the nine eleven families are going to say. They've had a lot to say today. Yeah. If it leaks, you get to test the waters on what some of your closest players will say. They get to test the waters today. And the thing that I would just say is, we're not going to learn all the details of this. We're doing a rapid reaction set of conversations today. This is going to play out over the next couple of days because Jay Monahan could not go and just do this and stay in the position that he's been anointed in the press release if he doesn't have the support of the players and in particular the players on the PGA Tour right now. Uh, Merger is a very big, heavy word. And that's what's being thrown around. I think there's a whole lot of detail that's going to come out about what this deal really is that's going to shape how we ultimately look at it. My, I, and, and that is, for me, the bottom line. We're going to make a lot of assumptions, a lot of predictions. I've got a whole lot of thoughts about what this might mean. What does it mean to actually have a single board seat? Yeah, you're chairman of the board, but if you got one board seat and everybody can outvote you, it actually means the PGA Tour got control of Live today and that the entity that it is Live is probably going to go away. On the other hand, the guys who left for Live and got massively paid sure look like they won if you just measure by money. On the other hand, the guys at the PIF, the Saudi government, 
who got into this just wanting influence and wanting to get some validation. They took a hell of a lot of beatings, which is why I think they were in the in the press, which is why I think they probably were very open to doing this. But boy, it sure looks like they may be one. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of blood on the ground. There's a lot of wins. The only group of people who you can't exactly yet say got something out of this is those 20 to 50 players who matter on the PGA Tour who said no to the live money, who stood up, fought for the tour on the principle and morality argument, who now have to turn around and be appeased. That's, well, that's the group to watch. Let me ask you, though, do you do of those 20 to 50? It wasn't a big number that actually were on certainly principle. Yes, golf history, golf legacy, golf competition, the integrity of the sport. Morality. There wasn't a, there were the, the the number of guys that I heard actually went in that direction is a handful. And by handful, I mean five. Like I don't that was not the common refrain from from many of the guys for, to, to my recollection, to my way of of consuming the stories well, and, and what we heard. I, 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 OK, I think there will be a massive reckoning on the hypocrisy side of this because the, the, the Saudi money was made to be the bad guy. It's not clear how much Saudi money has been put into this, by the way. I suspect that the press release is pretty much geared towards some face saving for the Saudis. A, it's not clear that they're doing anything more than funding the ongoing live losses. B, all it says is they have a right to put more capital in in the future. That doesn't mean they get to. See how you get liquidity out of this when you don't have a controlling share and you're at the mercy of your partners is super TBD. It's like being a small minority owner in a sports team. You know, it's great that Cuban has somebody who's an owner potentially, but, but like that guy doesn't get to vote. That guy doesn't get to steer the ship. So we'll see what all of that means. But for those players, man, However, they fought and stand for the PGA Tour. They did, and they were out there, and they took bullets, and they fought. And it's a little bit like the general saying, "Go to war, go go to go to bloodshed." But we're going to actually uh, sign a peace treaty while some people are dying unnecessarily. Well, let's be blunt about it. it there's only two they. The two they are Rory and, and to a lesser extent, Tiger. Although Tiger certainly carried his weight, um, if you believe that the the meeting up in Delaware went down the w- the way that it did and the uh, role that he played in that. House, I don't agree with you. Okay. If I'm Justin Thomas right now, I'm going, those fucking guys got 100, 200, 300, 400 million dollars and I stayed put and now we're all together? No, that's different. That's the money. That's not Fine. arguing for the tour as the, as the, the but they what still should feel be the left prevailing. Out. They still feel for, like for they now. fought for the for future. Now. For now, so the thing that I it. think the, that's the why we have to I watch think, them. That's right. But and and to to your point about you know the role that it seems that um, the PIF will will play in the board seat and everything, all of that is true. You know what else they have? The checkbook, the unlimited checkbook, the purse strings, and it does seem that it, 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 if you believe some of the the way the dots are being connected today on golf channel and Twitter and otherwise that the tour was being faced with a, 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 a financial conundrum. They, the tour put themselves in the position of being able to bolster the purses sufficiently to offer these enhanced, uh, you know, uh, winnings over the course of this season. But we're faced with the challenge of how to continue that on in indefinitely 
And there was some thought that some of the sponsors, some of the cornerstone sponsors of the events were being approached, you know, in, 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 in very gentle manner about increasing their spend to meet the, the, the price of these in, increased purses. This merger, this combination eliminates that altogether. It's a subsidy from an entity with a single goal that I think they've now mostly achieved, which is, and we've talked about this on this podcast, kind of ad nauseum, the goal of the Saudis to assimilate themselves uh, and posture and position themselves into, you know, uh, uh, an an, uh, acceptable role in in Western culture. The, The people haven't previously, you know, booked trips to the Middle East to go visit Saudi Arabia as a vacation destination. Folks uh, understand the human rights record, the track record that that place possesses. The 9-11 families certainly have a perspective on the role of the Saudi government and in, 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 in what happened here. And all of those things have been um, challenges for the Saudis as they think about expanding their standing in the world and expanding their acceptance and assimilation in, into Western culture. We've seen them in, in other uh, form, the, 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 their role in the Premier League. You helped me understand a lot uh, better today the role they've played there, their F1 involvement, whatever's happening with the WWE and, and, and the Saudis. So this, this to me, is, is kind of a cornerstone um, gem for them in terms of that overarching goal of theirs. Do you think that they that do you agree with the idea that from from that perspective, it's it's mission accomplished for the Saudis? It sure looks that way. I think it's TBD whether the Saudis are actually subsidizing the purses. If that's the case, we're not running a business anymore. And they basically adopted the live business model at the PGA Tour. That's tracing that money and exactly what the P&L of this ongoing enterprise is going to look like on a go forward basis is going to be fascinating. Because that will mean that the Saudis have tremendous influence. The press release that said doesn't indicate that they're going to continue to fund it on an ongoing basis. It says that they've got the right to take more capital if that happens, but not the requirement. So we we will see what look the PNL of these things tells everything. It will be private, but I think we're gonna we're gonna get a better sense. The the point is there is going to be Jay Monahan has a lot of explaining to do. He is in the player meeting right now as we speak, telling these guys why he did this, probably laying out the economic case. Um, and the first question coming out of that meeting is going to be one of influence. The second will be follow the money because that will tell us whether the Saudis bought influence or whether this really just was a face-saving aqua hire by the PGA Tour to stop spending money on lawyers, effectively end the competitive threat, and then figure out how to compensate guys who stayed behind and didn't take the big check or penalize guys who stayed and did take the big check to make it equitable. From a business perspective, everything that you just laid out there makes perfect sense. That would be the reason for the combination, it doesn't address the human rights record. It doesn't address um, it all of the reasons. It won't be addressed. It, it won't it be addressed. It can't be addressed. It, it, it cannot. And that's going to be the hypocrisy point that Monaghan is going to have to answer for. I well, think. And, he, and Brandel uh, has already voiced his, he called it the, uh, the saddest day in golf uh, history, I think. And, and Eamon Lynch has been 
out and vocal about those aspects as well. I'll say this. The PGA Tour took a loss, not today. The PGA Tour took a loss when Cam Smith left, when Brooks Kepka left, when other people who were sort of rising stars in the ranks left. That was the loss for the PGA Tour. If you are dispassionately leading an organization, from there you say, okay, how do I handle the competitive threat? Today, it looks like on the surface that the PGA Tour eliminated that competitive threat. What they will not ever be able to speak to, I don't think, in a way that makes intellectually honest arguments is how when they mounted the army against, you know, figuratively against the morality of this play on national television, Jay Monahan did that, how they can do this today. And he may say, look, I've got full control. What I did was I took their money, but they're not getting influence. They're on the board. They, they were, they were going to go in perpetuity and continue to tear down the sport and make it harder. You know, the live bots were going to continue to drown out the internet in nonsense. And, you know, you got to pick your battles. And this is the battle that we took. And it gives us control over the future of golf. Full stop. Here I am. I, I think that's going to be a valid point. But I just don't think if you made the morality argument and the PGA Tour did, it wasn't just the Golf Channel. It wasn't Eamon Lynch no, the and Brandel. It no, you're was right. the tour itself talking about the morality of what was going on over there. Then you have to answer for that. And that's the one thing. The business decision here, at the end of the day, I think, I, I said this on Twitter, it's like being a chairman of a board in which you can get outvoted is like being the king of in England. It, like, nobody cares. Great. It's a, it's a largely ceremonial role. Fantastic. But if you have influence with your money, and that is what is still TBD, that's something entirely different. And that's what Jay is going to have to answer for. Well, well Nate, Nate Dog, as we are taping this episode of Fairway Roll, and the players met with Jay Monahan up in Canada, where the Canadian Open is occurring this week. But I'm interested in your sense of the locker room reaction. It's one thing for them to sit and listen. Jay went through the talking points. I hope those talking points included, you know, the possibility of greatly enhanced checks going into the pockets of of many of these guys for his own sake. But from your perspective, from the reaction that you received today, your own self with uh, an important member uh, of your family, what do you think is happening in the locker room today? I think you got a lot of highly skeptical, stunned people walking into that locker room. I don't think there's a player who was on the Zoom or on the meeting or talking to Jay, who knew this was coming. And the first thing that he's going to tell them, have to tell them, is why this is good for them. But like most of these conversations, he's not speaking to the entire membership. He's talking to those 20 to 30 guys who matter, who are the only people who are unsigned in this entire situation and who ostensibly could find a different financial backer and leave tomorrow and start a breakaway tour if they want to and go do this all over again. So that's what Jay is doing. He's got to do some convincing. What's weird about this house is that almost none of those guys are in the locker room this week. We've got a highly right. diluted field in Canada. They're going to be on Zoom. They're going to be on call. So some of that in-person leadership stuff, if that exists, if that's even possible for Jay to do to rally the troops, is going to be lost over the phone and Zoom. Those guys are still in there just getting out as we're recording right now. So the way that those... It's not going to be what James Hahn says. 
Don't listen to what James Hahn says, because the reason James Hahn is upset is it doesn't I, matter what James Hahn says. I love his Twitter feed. I love I do James too, Hahn. But he does not matter so much in well, this as we're, what we're, Colin Morikawa says, because this morning Colin Morikawa came out and said, love to find out about news in the morning on Twitter. <laughs> no, that was uh, Mackenzie Hughes. It was Colin also Mor- Colin. He said, uh, I thought yesterday was the longest day in golf. There you go. There you go. <laughs> both, both good. Same now, sides of the same coin. We have a tremendous guest. The golf gods are very kind. They're shining their their beautiful light down on us. Uh, we're going to talk to Smiley Kaufman in a minute. But before we get over there, the most important player voice, and this has been the case for uh, you know uh, o- over a year now. What what do you think? There's there's been some conflicting indication as to whether or not Roy McIlroy knew in advance. It's been reported that Tiger was not told in advance, but Rory is a special candidate. He has played the role really of de facto commissioner for over a year. He's been the face of the PGA Tour. He's been the most strident. He's he's really put himself in a position where he's had kind of the the, the most to lose um, reputationally and his, his standing amongst his peers potentially. What do you think um, is, is and Rory is in Canada, by the way. Rory is in that room. When do you think he knew, and, and how do you think he's processing it? I think this has been a difficult journey for Rory. He quieted himself down a few weeks ago, I think for his own golf, not because he knew this was coming. In the same way that Phil was throwing arrows just last week, it's hard to believe that any of these guys knew it. I mean, we're just getting a sense coming out of the locker room right now that the negative positive split was 90-10 in the player meeting, that people were pretty frustrated that there was a standing ovation when the room called for tour leadership. That came from Rick Gaiman. Uh, so this this was a pretty contentious meeting that it doesn't sound like uh, won everybody over. And at the end of the day, look, you've had Rory out there being the flag bearer for this. This has got to hurt in a number of ways for him because he signed up for the principle, the morality of this mission. The money is one thing. From a pure business perspective, I actually think when the chapter is said and done that the PGA Tour will have, in quotes, won and eliminated a competitor and taken that off the board. But from a moral standpoint, Rory McIlroy appears to have been hung out to dry. Yep, Uh, there's no arguing that. Um, Well, let's jump over to smiley and and get his his insights um and 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 go through this with with somebody who occupies an absolutely unique position as both being on the side of of, of media and you know a, a tour player who happens to be a peer of of many of the most important players in the game Hi, birdie buddies. Some of golf's biggest tournaments are coming up and you can get inside the ropes with FanDuel because right now new customers can get a no sweat bet up to $2,500 back in bonus bets. $2,500 back in bonus bets. We are at the Canadian Open this week by Par Saving Pals, the Oakdale Golf and Country Club. This is a venue that has not hosted uh, a PGA Tour event before. So we are all walking in a little bit blind, but there are some corollaries to the TPC River Highlands up in Connecticut. If you like that corollary, that comp, then you might like guys like Sahit Tagala or Ches Reevy. 
both guys available at decent top 20 prices. Tommy Fleetwood has quietly been collecting top 20s out there. You can play positionally this way. You can play head-to-head -head matchups if you want. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. They're always giving you great odds, and when you win, you can get paid instantly. So step up to the tee and take a swing at betting the PGA Tour. Go to FanDuel.com slash Rollin and sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash R-O-L-L-I-N to get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Quick disclaimer, you must be 21 years old or older in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund is issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. If you have a gambling problem, you can call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. In Massachusetts, gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. In New York, you can call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Again, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342. In Connecticut, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat. Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. In Maryland, visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. All right, my birdie buddies, the golf gods are good. They they looked down on us and, and said, you know, if there's going to be the most dramatic day in the history of professional golf, then you better come correct with a guest and, and, and a perspective that is both boots on the ground, ready to rock out. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But also with a perspective that, that you know, is uniquely 
media as well. My Eagle enthusiast, we are joined today by Smiley Kaufman of the Golf Channel and NBC Sports. Uh, will be on the grounds at U.S. Open and also has his own podcast rocking and rolling right now, The Smiley Show on Sirius XM. It's up Monday nights. He's doing Monday and Thursday shows. He's already had his boys, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas is on. Uh, Sam Burns was on. Jake Owen. Smiley, well, welcome aboard, buddy. Hey, man, what's happening? Uh, thanks for having me on. Big crazy day. C- crazy day. So what time did you hear the news of, of the merger bet- with, between Liv and the PGA Tour? Oh, uh, man, I think I probably heard it around, probably it was around 10 or something. I don't know what time it was, but it's it was early in the you know mid-morning, and I was looking at my phone. I got a, uh, a screenshot from the CNBC saying that Liv was merging with the PGA Tour, and I immediately went to Twitter and didn't see anything about it. So I was like, oh, that's fake. I mean, that's Photoshopped, whatever. And then in the next probably 60 seconds, 120 seconds, it um, I saw it one other place. And then I started to run with it to try to be in early on it. And it, it was true. And it's just, I, I, I couldn't fathom last night to today this happening. It's one of the most crazy things i think i've ever seen as far as a merger in any sport it's especially the way the pga tour um and especially the commissioner how he talked about live golf and how he talked about how pga tour players were couldn't go there they were threatened to go that like it was either you're one way or the other and the fact that they merged you know some people might say it needed to happen but man it's it's a very interesting time to be a pga tour player for sure well, Smiley, I want to ask you about that because you have a foot in both worlds on the media side and obviously the player side. The way that you are speaking right now suggests that some of the messages that were burning down your phone may have been from guys that you've known for a long time who are on tour. I know that I was the first guy to tell my brother that this merger happened, but my brother is 69th on FedEx Cup and nobody gives a shit about Mark Hubbard in the big picture of who's going to live, who's staying on tour. There are a couple of guys who started on your podcast and who are dear old friends of yours who people do care about and who were part of that army that stood up and fought and wove the flag. You know, they, they, they waved that flag for the tour. You can make a case today that the Saudis won because they got some level of influence. Merger's a big word. We'll see if this is a face-saving move and, and they're just, they can be outvoted. They put some capital in. We'll see. But the Saudis got some level of victory. You could make a case that the PGA Tour maybe won because they eliminated a competitor. You could make a case that the guys who took a big check and went to live won because they're going to have a pathway back. I don't yet see what the win is for those top players, those top 20, 30 guys who decided to stay and fight with the tour. Do you? Well, first off, I am a fan of Mark Hubbard. Uh, so let me raise my <laughs> hand there and say I do I do care about Mark Hubbard. I, Thank I, you. Am, I do too. I am a Mark Hubbard fan. So <laughs> uh, yeah, you're exactly right. And those are the players uh, that, that were in Delaware that I would say set what the PGA Tour, what we thought the PGA Tour was going to look like uh, moving forward with the designated events, uh, their commitment to playing um, all in the same place. And, you know, those those guys collectively made business decisions that 
you know, were beneficial to them. And, you know, they could have easily taken the money with Liv. They all had big offers. And, um, yeah, it's they have every single right to be very upset with leadership. And I, I keep on going back to how did this happen without any player knowing? And the fact that the pack didn't know about this and the fact that the PGA tour can operate um, without the player's approval. It seems like it goes against everything that the players in the tour, the relationship that the two have had for however long. I know there's been multiple times that uh, players uh, have tried to form a union. And if that would have happened a while back when, when the union talk uh, was to had, um, you, you have to wonder in situations like this, could the tour would not have been able to have done what they did today. Correct. I mean, in my mind, the union uh, not having a union is what effectively the players didn't have a say and, and they operated the tour operated um, unbeknownst to any of the players and operated by themselves. So I, I think you're right. Um, that if there had been representation for the players, then that stakeholder for sure would have had to have been addressed. And because it's so early in the in the news that we we don't have like any of the real meat on the bone, I, I have to traffic in hypotheticals. Now they're they're yes. driven by kind of the business um, judgment, the business experience that Nate. Um, Nate's number one in business on here, and I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a distant second. But in in any kind of combination like this, the the number one thing that the principals have to think about first and foremost is how do you get the buy in of your most important constituency? Uh, Liv doesn't have to worry. The Saudis don't have to worry about buy in from their constituency. But Jay Monahan, for sure, there's no PGA Tour if the top twenty guys decide that they don't want to go play golf. So before they they made it past the first two hours of the first conversation that they may have had two months ago, it's been reported that these conversations have been going on for a couple months now. Don't you think that a number one on that list was how do we make the top 20 guys whole? How do we make them feel like they um, want to be partners in this thing, that they want to be participants in this? They certainly sit and look at their competitors who co- who got giant checks out of this, and 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 now are being asked to go along with um, this new framework. Do you think that that consideration w- was addressed at the very outset? Because I, I I think they had to have. Well, well, to my understanding, the the top players, and I'm not going to name any names that I've I've talked to, but I think they're under the opinion that right now the the Saudis are just a uh, would be deemed a, a a working sponsor with the tour. They're not right. necessarily a uh, you know like the players from the Live Golf Tour. I, I think there's a little bit of I think they're being kind of told at the moment that the Live Golf players aren't going to be playing on the tour, and this is just an investment. Yeah. The PIF. So, with that being said, then it's like okay that maybe this all can work out. But when the Live Golfers start coming back. And all of the cuts that the PGA Tour has been making to the FedEx Cup and making it top 70 and, and, and basically cutting down on cards. And now you're throwing in a bunch of guys. You're throwing the DP World Tour and all the cards they're getting. And now you have a card coming from the PGA Tour U. You're creating 
so many different players and there's just not enough cards. And yeah. that, from my perspective as a player, and if I guarantee you at this meeting in Canada, because a majority of the players there are in that range of, you know, 70 to 175 on the FedEx Cup. And there's, trust me, there's, there's plenty of other players that are very good at, at that event. But just looking at the field yeah. and, and the history Hubs is there. sitting in the crowd at 69 right now. Listening who is, who is? To Mark is sitting in, the, in, yeah. in that meeting at 69 right now going, what does this mean for me? If I finish 69, yeah. I thought I was good this year. Am I still good? He should still be good. And it, I, I think looking into 2024 is where I get concerned there. And it's, I just don't see how there's just, there's just too many players and not enough cards. So I just don't know how this is going to work. Uh, we, we don't know anything yet as far as how it's going to be structured. So maybe there will be more opportunities for players to not lose their cards. And um, nobody wants to go back to the Corn Ferry Tour because we don't, we're not even talking about that right now. But they cut down on 30 cards on the Corn Ferry Tour yeah. uh, effectively over a period of time with taking yeah. Q School away and making a, a, a mega season between one and, uh, and making it two. So it's a, it's a trickle-down effect that doesn't just affect the top players, but y- you go to the, to the average PGA Tour player, to the struggling PGA Tour player, to the Corn Ferry Tour player. And now the the mini tour players has never had a shot to play in the states because of the uh, they created the PGA Tour Canada and PGA Tour Latin America where there's absolutely zero money in that, but they they in, entice you to go play because of the cards that they offer for the Corn Ferry yeah. Tour. And Eric Cole's no, going to be the last mini tour hero to make it big on the tour, I think. From yeah, here. it's it's really it's tough. It's tough to be. I say it's tough to be a professional golfer right now. It's it is and it isn't because the uncertainty, but also you you're sitting there as a PGA Tour player in that meeting too, and you're thinking, all right, PIF fund, like maybe I'm going to make a lot more money now. Uh, yeah. Not that the guys aren't already doing well, but you, you you have to wonder, right? You know, that's yeah. that's one thing that I would be walking that meeting thinking, all right, I'm all ears, but I'm not happy with you right now, Jay. I don't trust you at all. But tell me how I'm making a lot more money. <laughs> So, Smiley, one of the things that's made you great in a short period of time at what you do is you have all these different perspectives. You have been on the PGA Tour comfortable. You've been on the PGA Tour uncomfortable. Um, You know what it's like from all perspectives on golf. Uh, Will you be absolutely, I mean, will you be shocked if they don't take care of guys like Thomas and Spieth? So, I was thinking about how they're going to take care of them. And the one thing that I thought of was, okay, what have they done over the past year or two? It's the PIP. And what I think would happen in this scenario is all of the guys that were potentially in that meeting and they would be rewarded similar like they have on this by this PIP thing and, and continue to be paid handsomely via the PIP. And I'm guessing that no live player that took the money would be eligible for the PIP. That is the only way to make this any like any fair at all to these guys because they should not be getting the live players that hence kind of won the lottery, right? Like yeah. <laughs> these guys, they 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 are getting bailed out. Yeah, they. I mean, they they won the lottery in the fact that they just ga- they made a little gamble and they said, you know what? I trust that we will eventually have to merge and 
trust, you know, Phil Mickelson was kind of right the entire time, not on necessarily everything, but for the most part, he was kind of right on a lot of stuff. Well, let me pose kind of to, to both of you guys, and I'll start with, with Nate um, and then Smiley. I'm, I'm psyched to hear your reaction to, to this. The news of the creation of a for-profit entity is a game changer because that for-profit entity, there is no restriction, constraint, legal tax or otherwise from that entity offering multi-year contracts to, to players to come play on tour. We, we could get contracts that look like NBA contracts that are offered by that for-profit entity to, to individual players. And that looks to me, you know, we're sitting here again in an in information vacuum, but if I was trying to answer the question, how am I going to make Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth feel good about, you know, the the deal that Brooks Kepka got and that Dustin Johnson got yeah. in this combined entity, Nate, you know, because the most important thing right now is avoiding brand impairment, right? You cannot yeah. have right out of the box a bunch of dissent and, and a bunch of uh confusion and guys out killing um the the tour around this, yeah right? well well two, two things one is the the initial press release from the tour made a bend over backwards effort to say that they're going to keep their 501c status so if it was as easy as just creating an entity above them i think that would have happened a long time ago to give these guys contracts so so let's wait and see what's fascinating to me is what smiley's pointing out and smiley i want to hear your point of view on this but like the only guys who haven't signed anything and don't have a contractual obligation to anyone or anything are those 20 to 30 guys on the tour that matter now. They got a lot of leverage. They got a lot of leverage. They've had a lot of leverage this entire time. That's, that's right. That's why they resh- this entire year has been basically whatever they said goes. And, yeah. and, and continuing into next year, the, all the things we've been seeing and talking about as far as the designated events go and being cut down to 80 guys and and maybe having a little bit of a cut now to those events. These aren't decisions that are being made by the PGA Tour. These are decisions that are being made by the top players with the tour agreeing. And they have proposed all this. And for the longest time, Tiger headed pretty much this charge and Rory headed the charge. And Rory was a dang spokesperson for this whole thing. And I just... I feel bad for Rory. I feel bad for Justin. I feel bad for Max. Those are three guys that stand out that stood on the podium last year and had to answer hard questions. And that's where I get really frustrated with Jay and the fact that I don't remember ever seeing him do an interview where he had to answer the questions besides really scripted stuff. And I would have loved for Jay to say to the membership, I don't want any of you guys answering anything about the live golf tour unless you feel obligated to i will be at every single pga tour event sitting there at the press conferences or have somebody underneath me answer those questions about live and the fact that rory had to carry that weight with him the entire year mm. and play as well as he played was incredible because it's so hard to play golf and juggle things going on in your mind and and dealing with people that are saying hateful things about your opinions and that was happening from the live crowd, and it was it was going vice versa. Um, so I, I do feel bad for Rory in that, and um, I don't know if all the stuff that's kind of been related to his play, kind of in the last couple months from Augusta, is related to that. I doubt it because we just kind of all found out about this. But still, it's um, it's it's just crazy. 
so to to follow on, you know, we if we if we talk about the possibility of the top twenty to thirty guys who've been carrying that that weight, and you know, there there is you the the, the pip does have a kind of model. There's a there's a structure in place to compensate those guys. It's also very important to the tour going forward to have guys from thirty one to to one fifty. I think still competing to to make ultimately the the entertainment product the television product and this is the way that we've talked about this on this podcast quite a bit the thing that always killed live is that it was a bad tv show it wasn't a tv show that i wanted to watch i i tried i tried to watch it but it sucked so uh but but the the pga tour this year turned out it was a tremendous tv show especially the designated events the competition amongst the top players with the frequency with which it was occurring. Awesome. I'm all in. I'm a sports fan. I love seeing the best players play more often, but we also need the guys further down the list. We need Kurt Kitayama to have access to, so he can show up at a designated event um, from what feels like to, you know, a casual sports fan out of nowhere. Now we know who Kurt Kitayama is smiley and we know that, that he had the chops, but uh, the casual sports fan might not. We need those guys on down the list. We need Mark Hubbard. How else would we see a look away, no look putt at the PGA Championship? A birdie putt at the PGA Championship on Sunday, Nate Dog. A look away. We need Mark Hubbard on this tour. Is it possible if, if indeed, again, I'm sorry to be trafficking hypotheticals, but if you offer those guys 31 to 150 contracts, I'm going to pay you a certain amount and it's not chump change, right? It's a reason. It's a, it's a sizable amount and you can go ahead and scale it based on the way that guys have performed and what they've earned. And, but, but some kind of assurance to those guys that going forward, they have a place, they have a role. It will always be um, determined. It's an ultimate meritocracy. So you, you will need to, to play well, but we're going to cushion the blow with, with some kind of guaranteed, money do you think that that's a path that the, the tour might consider and that it might work with the players man it's hard to say right you know yeah. the, the one thing that, that comes to my brain is you know the, i think what what makes the tour so great is is the competition and and the need to perform year in and year out and the, that's when you talk about contracts you know the pga tour doesn't have contracts you have to earn it every single year and I think that's what keeps the top players motivated. Um, even when they're not motivated, you know, they they still know they have to go and do the work or they're not going to be playing on the PGA Tour for a long period of time. You know, you've seen plenty of players that have had ton, you know, 10 to 12 years of success on the PGA Tour, but it's very hard to play on the PGA Tour until you're 50 years old. Yeah. There's only, you know, a certain amount of guys that have been able to keep their card that long because of the competition. And if you start guaranteeing things, that's when it's, it's a trickle down effect. Then it's less and less guys getting opportunities to play their way in. So from that standpoint, yes, I do think we have to have the names that sell playing in events, but I'm with you. I love, there's nothing better than the stories of, of the guys that are are battling, you know, for instance, at the American Express this year, Davis Thompson, a guy that not many guys are familiar with, great player, battling out with John Rahm. And nobody knows who Davis Thompson is, and everybody knows who John Rahm is. And 
if most people like cheering for the underdog, it's just your human human nature when you watch TV. So if you're watching the the best PGA Tour events every single week without an underdog story, and maybe that's why I really love Michael Bach because it was such a great underdog story. But you know, uh, it's it's tough to guarantee things in our in our landscape. But boy, does it kind of seem like we're, that we're kind of trending that way in in some different areas. Smiley, who won? What is it, who does it look like won? Uh, to today, who won? Um, man, I, I feel like the tour think they they won because they still had the upper hand at the moment, and I don't know if the players feel that way, but I think they still feel like they had the negotiating power um, that that Liv knew they had to commercialize in the United States, and it just wasn't going well. Yeah, and that is exactly what the PGA Tour does have. So from that standpoint, I feel like the tour feels like, yes, we won in this. We're bringing in this public investment fund and we're going to create so much more opportunities and, and money for players that it won't be quite as much of a financial burden as since COVID, really. You know, they were in a really good spot. And then you start having to dish out a lot of money during COVID um, to to finance events. And it's just been, I think, with also the added money in some of these events that the tour has also had to kind of pitch in. It's financially, I think competing with live long-term. Um, I think a lot of folks felt like live wasn't going to last. And maybe this was the sign that the PGA tour felt like, you know what? These guys aren't going away and we don't want to get in a litigation with these guys for, for six years and, and all the discovery that comes within that where they don't want to lose their 501 C nonprofit. Yep. And I don't know if that had a big reason why that they said, we don't want to lose this tax exempt status. So we're, we don't mind kind of letting you have a seat at the table here. Yeah. It feels like this could be like the Instagram, Facebook. When Facebook bought Instagram, everybody was like, holy shit, they spent a billion dollars. And in five years, you're going to look back and be like, that was the smartest move they ever made. We'll see. There's still a lot to do. But but for you, Smiley, you wake up, your phone battery is already drained at this point. You got some of oh your, my God, yes. you got some of your best friends who are having a pretty big meeting as we talk. Today, do you miss being a golfer? Or are you glad you're in media? <laughs> you know what? That's such a good question. Uh, I played good this past weekend. And I haven't played much golf lately. So like, I'm like, God, I wish I was a player, you know, because I just kind of <laughs> found a little something in my swing this past weekend. But I loved being in media so much uh, this past year. It's for me, I needed to get away from the game of golf. It yeah. was uh, it was just too taxing for me at the time. You know, it wouldn't surprise me to see myself play again. You know, I've, I've never um, lacked the ability or talent. I just kind of ran into a period that was um, I just struggled mentally, physically, and it just kind of bled into it all. And I'm happy to be where I'm sitting today. Um, it's it's been really fun, just you know, because days like today, I would have been pretty quiet on it, maybe just one tweet. But now I'm I'm reporting podcasts, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm opinionated. Like I would never say that anything about Jay Monahan, but here I am saying like I I'm not happy with this man right now. So yeah. I, I would have mm. never said that before, yeah. you know. But here we are. <laughs> well, we're, we're psyched to have you on the media side for for today. But dude, you are so young. I, if the golf is still in in your blood and and you can go chase it, like you know, th- keep thinking those big thoughts because we're we're here yeah, no, thank to you. root thank for that, man, a hundred percent. But um, we very much have uh, enjoyed having you out on course because 
it's a voice that really came out of nowhere, right? Like we haven't had a voice where it's a guy that was, you know, in a final group on the Sunday at the masters. That's a peer of the guys that are playing right now who can just walk us through immediately your intuition of what's happening out there. And you're like, here's what he's going to try and do. Here's the place to aim. Here's the, you know, the, the miss to avoid. Um, when you, when you put the headset on for the first time, which was what the PGA championship last year, yeah, correct. Southern Hills. Yeah, Southern Hills. Um, did it did it feel natural? Like, you know, how how did it feel? Oh man, the first time was tough because I it was I don't know if you've been to Southern Hills, but that I started on the tenth hole with Victor Hobman and Will Zalatoris's group, and it goes down the hill there, and it was we had tremendous amount of static on 10, 11, 12. And I've never worked with a headset or anything, so I didn't know that was a thing. And I get down to the bottom of the hill, and it's just like, wow, wow, I can't hear anything. And uh, Will's Alatoris, it was my first call. And, excuse me, uh, Will's ball was behind this small small tree, kind of buried in this Bermuda Rough. And I've played out of Bermuda Rough my whole life. And, and I knew exactly the shot he was facing. And I felt like he couldn't get it inside 30 feet. And Will's Alatoris gets up there and just goes... Whoosh, just like rips it over this tree, comes down like a butterfly to four feet. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I really suck at this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and it was, I don't think I've been that wrong on a call ever since. It it was w- literally one of the, the craziest shots that I just did not see. And, you know, I think in situations like that, I was like, man, props to the player because I didn't see that. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's been fun. It's been a fun learning curve. Um, I've had a lot of people give me some good advice along the way. I've, I've, I, I'm forever will not get to watch a TV broadcast the same way, unfortunately, yeah. because I know exactly what I'm listening for, and and I know when the production side gets screwed up, and I know when guys are calling shots on tape, and I know kind of the just the general flow of what the producer, what, um what the guys announcing or thinking. So um, I'll forever not be able to watch a, a broadcast the same really in any sport because I'm always thinking from the TV perspective now, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's still early, but one of the things that is a gift for you in doing this job is that you've got deep relationships with guys who are playing in the moment can also be a curse because there's a line there that you've got to respect as a member of the media. There's also a line there that they've got to respect. Have you run into that tension yet? It feels like it's old hat for you, but have you run into a moment where you're like, man, I got to hold this one back from the fans or man, I got to say this about one of my guys. Oh no. I, I, uh, I would say the the closest I've had and, and I went and told Michael Greller about it was, I thought the first round, um, in this, and this kind of goes to strategy. I, I think questioning strategy is always something that is the job of the on-course reporter to say whether it's the correct strategy or not. And I felt um, I was in the booth working for uh, CBS and in the uh, Masters coverage on the 13th hole. Jordan's in the pine straw, and he's having he has a great round going. And I just felt like he shouldn't be going for the green and two. I just felt like it was too early in the week to hit a shot out of the pine straw, even though he's 200 front. I just thought this is a layup to a back right pin, and and you make you you most likely make birdie. He makes ends up making double bogey and loses the Masters by however many shots. It wasn't wasn't many. Um, so I, I told Michael, I was like, man, I I just didn't I didn't think that was the right call on Thursday. And he's like, you know what? We've never laid up from 
190 yard front or 200 yards front in his entire career. So would you have said that like to him it was the right before play. you took the mic? Uh, that's a good question. Um, probably because I'm good friends with Michael. Yeah. I would just ask him be like, Hey man, what, why'd y'all go for that? But also wouldn't have been watching that closely, you know? So, so I would have probably never been in that situation of, of thinking that deep into a golf tournament, but because I was covering it, I, I, uh, I definitely just felt the need to say it before the shot. And then he hits in the water and, um, doesn't get up and down mixed doubles. So, um, yeah, I I mean, I understand that. So speaking of strategy and speeds, let me ask you this. Why can he not hit the green on 17 at Baker's Bay? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've hit it either. I think we just give him crap because he literally can't hit the club face by 17. <laughs> I mean, um, it's, 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 it's right behind you. I mean, it's literally you've just hit it for yeah. the fourth time. No, it, we haven't been back there, and and it's which which is crazy. We haven't been back there since uh, as a group since 2017. So honestly, I'm I'm having to go back in my head remember what it all looks like. It's been so long, but it wouldn't surprise me to see our, our entire group get back there in the next year. Or two. Well, we saw you guys all there with the, with their kids, uh, you know, with the, with the family, extended families down in uh, South Carolina this year. Right. And yep. that was, that yep. was husbands and wives, a very nice, very genteel, you know, I, we, we, we enjoyed those pictures and family is important, but you know, it's important to get, get together with the boys every once in a while as well. So, so please make sure maybe it could be families every other year. Got to, got to, got to keep it going with the boys. <laughs> yeah, no, we had, we had babysitters which helped a bunch. We uh, we had the babies with us, so having babysitters, we were able to kind of uh, really just you know not have to worry quite as much uh, as we normally would indeed. with with the babies around. I, indeed. Now you are working this upcoming U.S. Open at LACC. It is sublime. Every picture that I see, every every Looks overlay, amazing. it's just outrageous how good it looks. Um, I, you've been there. Have you played there before? Um, I have played there one time, uh, before I went to Japan, Justin, Justin and I played, uh, out there and, and it was fantastic. Yeah. We both loved it. So, uh, do you know yet, um, on course where, where you're going to be next week? No, I don't. Uh, we won't get assignments till, till Wednesday, but, um, I'm, I'm not really sure what our hours yet are either. I think, there's going to be some early coverage on, uh, I think normally USA Network catches some early coverage. So uh, there's a good chance the walkers are going to be working a good bit that week. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Uh, it's going to be really fun to get back with the NBC team. I'm, I miss uh, being there on Saturdays and Sundays. I, I've been on there on Saturdays and Sundays with the Golf Channel um, since our NBC swing, but it's just not the same as being there You know, down the stretch calling some, you know, some potentially historic shots and that for me i get juiced up like i'm playing coming down the stretch with uh somebody that's chasing down a you know whatever it is u.s open and um it'll be the open championship i get to work that this year that i'm stoked and then the Ryder cup later like i'm gonna be so jacked up ready to go i'm, I'm pumped. Well, you, you've been extraordinarily generous with your time today of all days you know p- possibly the busiest media golf day uh certainly in, in my adult life uh, we appreciate it before we let you go Give us some leans. Who who do you think has the kind of game that's appropriate Ooh. for LACC? Who do you like? Man, that is that is a great question. I want to hear who y'all have first, so I don't pick. <laughs> no, do, it, y'all, do y'all have? It's fine. I mean, we we on this podcast. I mean, I, I'm a degenerate. Like I I already I have bets. You know, 
I've been betting the U.S. Open <laughs> since February. Uh, I mean, obviously, you got some, do you have any good value? Well, I, That's what I want to uh, know. No, no, because it's chalk. I just bet chalk. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a clown. I, I, um, oh, I have Scotty, man. like you know, shocker. I have Scotty Scheffler winning the U.S. Open at LACC. He's played it 15 times in competition. How am I going to sleep on Scotty? Wait, Scotty's played there 15 times with the the um, Walker Cup, right? He he has all those those competitive loops from the Walker Cup. Man, that's such a good point. I need to do some recon on who all played in that Walker Cup. Thank you for giving that's me that. That's what we're here I, for. I need to get. I need to dig into that a little bit. Thank you, thank you, thank but, you, Smiley. Um, you right, tried so to Scotty, read those greens. The way Scotty's putting right now, it's a little bit of a liability. Don't don't you talk that slander. <laughs> I'm not listening to it. Man, I don't even understand. I, I think Scotty's ball striking is the first time that I watched Scotty play. What I've seen him play when he was a junior golfer, but not as a pro golfer until the U.S. Open this this past year. And that's the first time you saw. I him. was. Um, well, I mean, I've seen him play on yeah, TV, you know, but I, I, I missed I missed him when I was coming up. We we kind of crossed, didn't ever cross paths, so. When I saw him play at the U.S. Open and watch his ball fight, and I said to myself, holy crap, because at the time, I was wondering, was the Masters thing just kind of like a fluke thing? Like, how good is Scotty Scheffler? Because he wasn't talked about like when Jordan won his Masters. It wasn't just like this PGA Tour holding him up and saying, like, this is our guy, and, and, and everybody else kind of just rallying around, this guy's the best player I've ever seen. And... I didn't ever get that sense from Scotty until I watched it live for the first time. And I said, Oh my gosh, this is probably the one of the best ball fights I've ever seen. And there's a reason why he's basically breaking every ball striking statistic we've seen this year, what he's doing the the last 15 events, finishing top 12 every time he would generally probably could have won 10 plus times in those 15 starts. That's how well he's hit it. And the putting, yes, it's that's golf. He just he <laughs> he needs to spend a lot of time between ten to twenty yeah. feet, and if he can make one one putt around from ten to twenty he's feet, he's probably going to win because he does struggle inside of ten feet. Like he's he, he's a little worse than than tour average, and that's kind of most of his putting stats this year. But I think he can you can kind of wheel those in, but you got to have some feel from that 10 to 20 feet. And those are the putts that get the momentum and keep the momentum. But to answer your original question, sorry, I've kind of got on a tangent with Scotty because he's, yeah. uh, I had Deserves to say it. there. Um, I've been on Victor Hovland the whole yeah, year. Wow. Um, Great call. I've been on him the entire year. And this is before Memorial yeah. after I left Bay Hill and really even going into Bay Hill. I said, this guy's going to have an unreal year because I started to watch him practice his short game. And I could see that he started to f- like figure out the why and how to do things and and not have to think around the greens as much and and can play fun shots, not be so worried. You could see the worry on his face when he used to um, hit short game shots. Don't sense that at all. Was now. that between and the ears, or did you see something technical that he was able to make natural? Technical. What did you see mm. that changed? Yeah, technical. Um, Joe Mayo uh, convinced him that he did not have to roll the face open to be a good pitcher. And he's a very strong face player with his full full swing. One of the stronger club faces on the PGA Tour, arguably. And if you tell a player, like, wait, I can kind of chip from from shut. You know, not, not crazy shut, but I can chip from shut. And he learned how to have the correct 
um, mechanics that go along with that. And that has been the huge change for him because now he understands downhill why, uphill why, and, and what type of shot to feel. And, and once a player gets a feel for how to play every shot and then you have reps on reps on reps in tour environments and starting to see success, then then it gets to the PGA Championship where he got up and down to keep the round yeah. going to still stay in it with Brooks Kepka, And that's what I saw in 8 and 9 there was he was able to get it up and down to keep the momentum going because he's not going to be able to hit every green even though he's probably capable of hitting every green he ever plays. <laughs> he's that good of a ball striker. Yeah, and ironically, he misjudges the bunker on 16 to probably just pull himself out of it at PGA. But is that, just really quickly on that, is that an insight that you would have seen looking at him or, or or was that something unique to to the guy that he found? Is it just a matter of mostly that was between the ears and he found right guy to deliver information in a way that he could receive it? Or was that something that that, that truly was a unique insight? No, I, I think he feels like he got the correct information. That's, to me, as as a player, some guys can... There's, there's two types of players. And I, I had Jordan... Uh, Speeth on my podcast, and he kind of said this as well, and it, it made perfect sense to me. There's kind of two types of players on tour. One that really needs to kind of know everything, and they want to know the why and everything, and then there's players that don't really need to know anything. So like that would be the Dustin right. Johnson on the end of the spectrum. He probably said the same swing thought and same thought for his entire career on tour. And maybe there's some things that he works on, but for a guy like Victor Hovland, I feel like he was kind of stuck in the middle there with his pitching. It's like, okay, I want to not think at all because the more I think, the worse it gets. But if I start thinking too much and not really knowing what I'm thinking about, it's going to give me be even worse. So he was kind of stuck in, okay, do I, I don't really know how to do this. I don't really, I can't explain to you if, if he was going to tell you, how am I going to hit a pitch shot over a bunker? He, I don't think he could have told you, you know, six months ago or nine months ago, what exactly he would do. Like if he had to write it down on paper, I don't think he could tell you. Mm. But now he would tell you, I'm going to put the ball right here. I'm going to take it back to here. This I like to feel maybe the butt of the club is the first thing out of the top. And I got to make sure my chest is is moving forward and I got to make sure to deliver my hands and and thump the ground. I think he would probably be able to tell you that right now. And he could tell you that for every different shot around the green. And that's why he's improved so much. So I would say the information and just the amount of work combined with just seeing the the proper stuff on the golf course to be able to execute gives you confidence. Smiley, speaking of information and, and amount of, of work, please save some of these nuggets for the broadcast. That was amazing. Could not have enjoyed that breakdown of Victor anymore. The only thing that's a bummer is that he won Memorial and all the value is gone now. Off of Victor Hovland, the whole, <laughs> yeah, the whole well, I mean, he did play yeah. great in, in the first two majors as well. But look, that's a good everybody, point. other than when Smiley has is pressing the service to do a, an emergency podcast on, on, a, on a Tuesday uh, to address uh, groundbreaking, you know, industry changing news, you can catch his podcast, The Smiley Show, on Mondays and Thursdays on all podcast platforms. It's a Sirius XM pod. It's also aired on Monday nights at 8 o'clock on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. We'll be looking for you wherever you are on the golf course all week next week, Smiley. We'll be looking for you and looking forward to, to hearing you break things down the way you just did with, with Victor Holland. Thanks so much for coming on, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck on your best, my man. <laughs> Anytime. It.
All right. Big, big, big thanks to Smiley Kaufman. He has a standing invite to come on this podcast anytime he wants. Tremendous conversation with him. Nate Dog. Uh, there is golf this week. We've mentioned a couple few times here. Mm. Uh, the Canadian Open. Now, it is a, a, a diluted field. Rory is there, though, and that is you know probably the most I- important person. He is the two-time uh, de- defending champion of this thing, looking for a, 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 a three-peat of sorts. Um, before we talk about the Canadian, obviously, you know, the, the news of today dwarfs the, the extraordinarily impressive performance of Victor Hovland and Smiley's insights into Victor's um, short game stuff. So, so uh, um, juicy, so good. But, mm. you know, kudos to Victor Hovland. We've been watching him around the hoop and all of these, you know, uh, the, 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 the stiffest of challenges, right? Um, top 10 at the masters, you know, and we watched him right down the stretch battle Brooks Kepka at the, at the PGA championship, not a shocker to see him at, at Jack's place, the Memorial, which was playing as tough as, as, as any kind of major venue Brutal. you want to identify, right? What, what was the feedback from, from boots on the ground about yeah, how that place was playing? I mean, incredibly difficult. I think uh, probably to a fault. I think what the players okay. don't want to say out loud is a lot of them are kind of over it. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not speaking for my brother here at all. I'm, I'm actually speaking for other players who just feel like the tinkering has gotten a little silly. You, you heard it on the, on the hot mics. You heard Jason day call 16, just a terrible hole. And yeah. you know, to Jack, to his credit, he's listening. But I think the the firmness of that place, the sort of firm and fast, which became just a weird re- repeated line through the course of the week is fine. There just there isn't a hole on that course that I love to sit back and watch. I like to see the players struggle. I like to yeah. see them handle the pressure or not handle it. But I, I, I don't feel like that course in and of itself is this masterpiece of design. Uh, in the way that this U.S. Open course that we're about to see is a masterpiece of design. Yeah, I, I I'm cannot overstate but, how excited I am to see it. Hey, Lipsky, we gave out. We gave out. You know, Ricky made a nice little run there. Ricky at the was end. there. Yes, that's you know, right. We, 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 there, there were some people to pay attention to who you could see some momentum building from the week before that that we spoke about last week, and this is another one of those tournaments. Where, you know, if you're paying attention, Eric Cole's having a great year, everybody. Yeah. This is a tournament. This is the kind of tournament. Now, he's playing a lot of events in a row, including the U.S. Open. But this is the kind of tournament that a guy like Eric Cole is going to do well at this week. If you're paying attention, you got Ludwig Aberg, who's starting this week, right? <laughs> the number one amateur PGA. in the world, right? Absolutely. We haven't seen incredible play from him yet. But, like, you got to be paying attention. If you're a better, this is your kind of tournament because you can go into results of late Look at some of those guys who've been trending and sort of outperforming relative to the field. Even go look at some of the U.S. Open qualifying numbers from the beginning of this week and see guys who are trending up versus guys who maybe are, are, are better to step away from. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to play Tommy Fleetwood. I've been playing Tommy Fleetwood, you know, kind of quietly every week. It'll probably be, be just a, he's not like cracking top 10 territory with enough frequency but a little a little top 20 mm-hmm. on Tommy f- feels okay uh the names that I have Sam Burns isn't really going out on, on a limb he's just in form that I like sixth at Colonial 16th at um uh Memorial 
and you know so i i i I like the forum and he's got got the game for it there is a corollary i've seen some some of the analytics folks um draw some similarities between this venue that's never hosted an event yeah it's it's tough oakdale um but there is because of the 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 combination of the green sizes and the grass combination that there is um some comps with tpc river highlands um the travelers and so i have two guys who perform well at the travelers i have sahith on here who almost damn sure damn near should have won mm-hmm. last year's travelers mm-hmm. uh so and and every week we're looking for the breakthrough and then Ches Reevy, who you know is is a a a short track specialist and this this place is going to play short you're looking for guys that are accurate with wedges in their hands the 100 to 125 yard category so uh just a yeah. couple of names to put to put yeah. out there I wish right. there was a, I could think of another guy who does well at TPC Highlands who performs well on short track who's played decently well. I don't know. I'll have to think I about that. I don't know. That. Yeah. Well, you think on that. I do want to make sure before we go, shout out to Denny McCarthy and shout out to Rosang. We talked to- about Denny McCarthy last week because of the three-point contest. Remember, buddy? We put a it, little down on the DMV, boy. Well, I mean, I, I, I can't give him too much credit for his hoops game. He went to prep. So, I mean, you know. He, he he wasn't he wasn't in the in the WMAC, but look, I mean, you know, he he was a scorer at prep at least his his senior year, and he certainly was a scorer. There was a lot of people here in the DMV rooting for him. A lot like, big like what I saw, like yeah. what I saw. Oh. Big putts under pressure. You know, it's one thing to have great stats; it's another to be standing there with those crowds in front of Jack Nicholas. And make putts on, on yes, the greens were rolling true, but under pressure, like, that tells you that when that guy has a good ball striking week, woo. That's it. I mean, you just got to stay out of the rough on 18. It's really the only thing that hard that, to that, do. That, that got just him. Hard to do. Speaking of hard to do, um, winning the NCAA individual title and then 13 days later making your pro debut and winning that professional tournament, which is what Rosang did this weekend, um, hasn't been done since uh ever i think in 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 the women's and, and it's been 72 years since uh the debutante uh showed up and i can't remember it's her first name is beverly i know i know beverly did it beverly did it 72 51. years ago yeah in 51 yeah, right that that's 72 years but ago she hadn't won the ncaa tournament twice in a row i mean this this is right. unprecedented stuff and the hello world social post from rose is the right parallel. You've got a superstar coming out of Stanford who's got gaudy numbers, who has a swing that is blowing people's mind, who seems grounded in a way that you're not used to. Uh, she's actually feels a lot more mature than, than Mr. Woods was coming on. And listen, it's early. It's early. But that swing on that golfer is something to learn from. Yeah, you said Hello World was emanated from, from Rose's account. I know you were talking about the Tiger. Yeah, but she said, I guess, hello world, I to guess. mimic that. Yes. No, I understand. It was wonderful. Yes. I got it. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm, I, yes. Don't don't listen to me. Anyway, my birdie buddies, my par-saving pals, my eagle enthusiasts, we have a U.S. Open in front of us. Nathan and I will be together in Los Angeles, California. It'll be four boots on the ground, two, two belonging to Nathan, two belonging to me, we will break everything down as is our way on the Monday uh, podcast and and FanDuel TV program with Justin Ray, our beloved buddy, 
that helps us get these measures sorted out. And then show Wednesday, after Nathan and I have traversed uh, the George Thomas Billy Bell classic, iconic venue, uh, and then a recap show Sunday night after the 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 the, the cup is in somebody's hands. Now, uh, I also want to hold open the possibility that we will invite ourselves onto the Bill Simmons podcast and any other podcasts that 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 will have us um, next week. We will call everybody's attention to that. Um, Speaking of the Bill Simmons podcast, probably making an appearance on that this week, Nate Dog, um, to share uh, with BS and get his reaction to this merger news because it really is the first genuine sports merger to occur in our adult lives, um, a major sport in 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 the United States, uh, and the first of its kind in history to have a foreign investment, a foreign investor as the 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 merger partner. Um, but that that we'll break all that down. With Bill Simmons, thanks to Nate Dog, thanks to Smiley Kaufman, thanks to our producer Eduardo Ocampo. We'll, we will be back. It'll be a busy week next week, my birdie buddies. But in the meantime, if you have a chance to throw a peg into the ground, please let's hit him straight up there. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.